You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. This is Brian Lubin, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. I remember the day that my net worth hit seven figures. It was a busy day in the clinic, and I had signed on to my personal capital account at lunchtime. And I hate to admit it, but I walked around the rest of the day, probably the rest of the month, with an air of moral superiority. I knew many doctors who spent every penny they made and had nothing in the bank. Over the years, I've hit several other financial milestones. But truthfully, the sense of being better has faded quite a bit. In fact, I've met many people now who haven't even made it to the first million, but have lived quite an enviable life. Carrying this idea to its extreme, the idea that we are our net worth, we come to the unusual case of people who are worth hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars. Are they better than us? Stronger, faster, or smarter? And if so, how do we get there? Well, today we talked to a guy who has a podcast who has interviewed some of these high net worth individuals. Let's get his take. Brian Lubin is an entrepreneur, podcaster, and real estate investor out of Atlanta, Georgia. Shortly after graduating college, he made it to the top of a Fortune 500 company in their sales organization, only to realize that living the corporate America life for the next 40 years was simply no longer an option. He now runs a successful podcast, The Action Academy, where he talks to seven, eight, and nine-figure entrepreneurs on how to earn freedom in life and business. Brian Lubin, welcome to Earn and Invest. On your podcast, you have interviewed eight and nine-figure net worth entrepreneurs, even maybe some billionaires. Are they better than the rest of us? I'll cut you guys the suspense. Of course they are. No, <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, first off, man, I want to give you some flowers from a person that listens to the show. I listen to the show. Um, I run my own podcast, as we both have talked about, and I just had you on my show yesterday. So I missed you so much, man. I'm glad to be talking again. <laughs> and uh, you're you're just so eloquent with how you do your intros and everything. I know people that listen to the show appreciate it. So thank you so much for that. To answer your question, no, of course not. Uh, the millionaires, the billionaires of the world. And what you're alluding to is, yeah, my normal show guest is between five to 500 million net worth. Um, and then a couple billionaires. I've got a billionaire two hours after this interviewing Ali Webb, founder of Drybar. So what most people would be shocked to find is that when you think of a billionaire, you think of a hundred millionaire, you think of like the Zuckerbergs, the Elon Musks, 
you know, the the outliers of the world, right? But the reality is more so that the people that are the 99% or 99.5% aren't necessarily that much more intelligent than you or me. It's just that they have a stick to and they have a really strong vision that they refuse to waver on. So it's more so that they're so stubborn about getting the way that they want it to be that they'll bend earth to make it happen. So it's like these people, that's the majority of people that I interview. And I think people would be shocked to find and uh, maybe a little terrified to find that the people that they look up to aren't that different from them. Let's go back and talk about your past and your history. You get out of college. Was your vision to become a billionaire? Did you feel like you had some of that stick to itness? No, my vision was not an entrepreneurship whatsoever when I began. I thought that I was going to be a suit and tie wearing, Mercedes Benz driving, <laughs> Rolex wearing son of a gun, man. I thought I was going to be 60 years old as a senior VP of sales and that I would be uh, riding off into the sunset. And for a lot of people, when they first begin their career, we have those rose colored glasses on, right? Where you're like, okay, you know, I'm full of, you know, piss and vinegar. I'm ready to go. I'm re- I really want this. And you give it everything you've got. And I thought for sure that would be me. And that was my ultimate vision in life until I got everything I ever wanted. And I realized that none of it mattered. Why? Why didn't it matter? And, and why did that turn you off to corporate America? So we talked a lot about mountaintop moments in your life and my show. And now it's like I get to bring mine in. It's I gave everything that I had to becoming the top sales reps. I was in B2B enterprise sales for a Fortune 500 company. And it was a fabulous company. All right. It was the best experience that I could have for, you know, that age. And so I went in, they trained me really well. I learned how to sell to anyone and everyone, right? From people that are small business owners to people that are Fortune 500 CFOs. I was selling to everyone and I made it to the top. Um, I was number eight out of 5,079 in the position. So when I say I made it to the top, it wasn't just like top 100. I made it like to the top of the country and I won all the awards. I got the diamond level. The It's still sitting there. It's sentimental. Uh, I got diamond level rip, rep of the year, rookie of the year. And they said, we're going to make you sales manager. We're going to give you all this money, quarter million dollars a year in your early 20s. And we're going to get you up to VP and then senior VP. And this is your trajectory for the next five years. And they're like, you're the wonder kid. You've got this. And I was like, sweet. And then I started shadowing my boss. And then I started shadowing my boss's boss. So there's a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that are working jobs that you know either the A, they hate, or B, at best, they're indifferent about. So I would invite those people to look at your boss's boss. Because if you kick tail for the next five years, that's going to be you. If you if best, best case scenario. So closely examine them, their personal life and their professional life. Is this a person that you aspire to be personally and professionally? And if not, it's maybe time to plan your escape, which is what happened to me. I looked at my boss's boss and I was like, you are missing your daughters grow up. You are eating donuts every single day. You are on Zoom calls in 15-minute increments throughout your schedule. So I was like, any semblance of freedom that I'm aspiring to have, I'm working actively to get promoted to have that removed from my life. And so that was my wake-up moment where I said, I have made it to the mountaintop. Unfortunately, I have climbed the wrong mountain, and I need to go back to the base and start climbing a different mountain. And that's where my financial independence journey began. So you had the accolades, and eventually you had the income, but neither of those were enough. 
Why? Because I attached my happiness to an end result. I attached my happiness to an end destination. I attached my happiness to an outcome. All right. So anybody that's listening to this podcast has achieved anything great where they've put a big goal, you know, even if it's running a marathon, you train and you train for months, maybe years, and then you run the marathon. They say, now what? Like you did it. Cool. You lost the hundred pounds. You became a millionaire. You hit your first six figures. You got the promotion. Now what? You know, there's a lot of Olympians, you know, that four years, that's all they do is train for one singular race, one sprint, 100 yards, 400 yards. Then they, even if they win, now what? Am I not allowed to be happy for the next four years? So my happiness was placed in the wrong part of the journey. I used the analogy of, um, I hiked one of the 14ers in Colorado. So Quandry Peak, so 14ers, 14,000 feet. And it's, it's relatively difficult to get up there. And so I, I got up to the peak and you take a picture with a little cardboard sign and it's got the, the school, like how high the mountain is, how high the peak is. And I'm smiling and you post on Instagram and it gets the likes. That picture took two and a half minutes. The climb up the mountain took 15 hours. So like what percentage of our lives are we celebrating in those Instagrammable moments and ignoring the rest of the 99.97%? We're not posting that part. So it was it required me to strip away my happiness and my set my sense of success and fulfillment from those moments and place them upon the 99.7%. And that's when things changed for me. So if we're talking, we could talk economic success, we could talk, you know, time freedom, we could talk fulfillment. But when we're talking happiness, the happiness is found in regulating the amount of enjoyment you receive internally upon climbing whatever mountain you choose to climb. So you leave corporate America. You're like, I've almost had it with goals because the goals aren't making me happy. And once I get there, I find the happiness is fleeting. And you go and you travel for six months. Why did you stop? Like, why didn't you just throw it all away? And I, I, I think of this also in terms of the billionaires and the multimillionaires that you speak to. Like, they get to these major milestones. Maybe it's a billion dollars. Maybe it's a hundred million. For you, it was quitting corporate American and traveling. Mm-hmm. Why not just say, forget it all? This stuff obviously doesn't make me happy. And do that. Travel the rest of your life, or sit on a beach, or quit this idea that forward momentum is going to make me happy. Why did you stop traveling after six months? Yeah. So for people to add some context to that, after that mountaintop moment, right, where I realized I was climbing up the wrong mountain, I started investing in real estate. And I eventually started up my own podcast, which became a little mini media company. And I was able to produce what's called cash flow off of that and off of my real estate. So I was able to replace that, you know, quarter million dollar a year income with passive income and income that I could generate while traveling. So in March of 2022, after three months of having my salary replaced by my side hustles and my side investments, I came to the realization that, okay, this is sustainable. I can leave this corporate job. And I was like, obviously, next logical step is I'm going to leave my friends and family, hop on a one-way flight and travel full-time around the world for the rest of the year. Obviously, that's the next move. <laughs> Obviously. Since since we since we are throwing comfort zones out the window, let's just go ahead and leave it out of the stratosphere, right? So I hopped on a one-way flight, quit my job March 17th, hopped on a one-way flight to Greece, July 6th, lived in Greece for a month, traveled three months around Europe, lived for like three months in South America and Brazil, Colombia, all around, finished up in Singapore for New Year's, and then came back and I moved to Austin, Texas. So the question is, why did I come back? 
And here's the answer. So a lot of people are listening to this show. If you're listening to any financial podcasts, any real estate podcast, it's because you desire an end result. I'm assuming that end result is you want to leave the job you hate to build a life you love or to have some semblance of freedom, right? So a lot of people have the notion that in an interview, like, so one of my businesses is I help people leave corporate America. So I interview people. I do 427 intro calls now. Everyone wants the same thing. $10,000 a month of passive income so that they can travel around the world and do their own thing. That's about as far as we've taken the the ball (laughs) is that they know they want to travel. They know that they want to do something, but not what they're doing today, which leads me to the overall point that no finance podcast are talking about. No book is discussing. And that's what happens after you get everything you ever wanted. Everyone acts like financial independence is this end destination, right? But it's not. It's the beginning point. Like your life truly starts at the moment where you can stop having all your energy, attention, and focus placed solely upon making sure you have food on the table and a roof over your head. Now, all of a sudden, you can start thinking about the real stuff. So I traveled. I got everything I ever wanted. And I got everything that you guys have ever wanted for the most part. You know, I quit my job to travel. It's what most people want to do at 70 years old. I did it at 27. And I was laying on the beach in Mykonos in Greece and lived there for a month. And I traveled all around the islands. And by week three, I was hungover and I was sunburned. <laughs> and I was with my girlfriend at the time. The relationship actually ended up ending while traveling. So while we were doing it, I was like, well, I want to text people, but they're all working. I want to hang out with people, but they're all working. Um, and also, what's this weird feeling I have? I have these two weird sensations crawling in the back of my mind that I didn't think I'd ever feel again. One of them was boredom. And the other one was a lack of fulfillment. Hmm. I thought that I would be stimulated, happy, excited every single day. I thought that I would be so fulfilled and so over the moon that I accomplished this new mountaintop moment, right? But then I realized that winners enjoy winning. Mm. And so when it comes to goal setting, I'm obsessed with goal setting. I love it because I enjoy the process of like the attainment, like going working towards a goal. I've fallen in love with that process. So I love goals. I'm the goal setting guy. But when I don't have goals anymore and I don't have anything I'm working towards or any big, hairy, audacious task that I'm pursuing, then what am I here for? And all of a sudden, a winner has now stopped winning. A doer has now stopped doing. An action taker is now laying still. And that creates a collapse of identity, a collapse of self-esteem, a collapse of confidence, and a collapse of your own ego. So I'm laying there on the beach and I'm like, this is meaningless. This is not what I thought. And so we go into the topic of like fulfillment. And then I'll end this with a punctuation right here where something that really helped me get out of this and to fully answer the question and land the plane is this concept called navigation versus acceleration. It's a book from a book called The Buddha and the Badass. And in this concept, it completely changed my life. We talk about how people are used to sprinting, sprinting, sprinting. And you in the medical profession, people that are in legal or in corporate, you're used to going 100 miles an hour. But if you look at a cheetah in the wild, Most people associate a cheetah with sprinting 24-7, but that's not the case. A cheetah can only sprint for about 30 to 40 seconds at a time. And if it sprints more, it's going to overheat and die. So 99% of the cheetah's existence is spent stalking the prey and like planning the sprint. So that's the period of navigation that we all ignore, especially in American culture. So we go between the different seasons. So what I needed to do was shift, like turn off, put the car in neutral and just be. Instead of do, I had to just be for a season. And it took me four months of being and with 
just allowing whatever to come to me to come to me. Just quiet, walking, journaling. What am I here to do? Asking the proper questions. And then finally, in Rio de Janeiro on the beach in Brazil, the answer came to me. I need to go from me to we. I need to help other people do what I did. I want to help a million people do, do what I did. And then that's when my new sense of purpose and fulfillment was ignited. And I immediately that next week booked a plane home to get to work on my new business. You know, it's funny because I've heard this trope before, right? Passive income to freedom. I mean, many people talk about that concept. On the other hand, your personal experience, and I think the experience of a lot of people you interview is you realize that the passive income does free you from things you don't like doing, but doesn't necessarily make you free on its own. And it, Yeah, 100%. And that also goes into a whole separate conversation on time management. Hmm. Because, you know, people leave that corporate job. And this was me for a year, guys. It's like I'm a year and a half removed. For a full year after leaving corporate, after leaving my job, you have to give yourself some grace because we expect that we're going to be some like lean, mean entrepreneurship machine upon leaving. But it's an entirely new skill set and a muscle to build. So it's like from childhood, going through the school system to college, to medical school like you, and going into your profession, you've been groomed to live your life off of other people's schedules, your entire adult life, your entire life. So why do we assume that as soon as we're doing our own thing and left to our own devices, that we magically will have that muscle, right? So what a lot of entrepreneurs will do is they will hit their freedom and they'll build their own business. And now congratulations, you won. You've made it to the mountaintop of switching a 40-hour-a-week job for a 100-hour-a-week business. Now you're seeing your kids less, you're more stressed out, and your hair is gone. It's a, it's a funny dichotomy because I have perspective from people that are in the hunt, you know, that are leaving their job and people that have done that. You know, They've built the $5 million, $10 million a year business. And they're like, I can't fathom taking a vacation. I'm like, well, isn't that ironic? Do we conflate passive income with entrepreneurship? Because I feel like we always put those things together. And yet when I listen to your story, and I know what you do, and when I listen to the people you interview, there doesn't sound like there's anything really passive going on there, mm. especially when we're talking about like the hundreds of millionaires and the billionaires. Oh my God. It's like you cracked the secret code. <laughs> what is happening here, people? Are we about to light the finance world on fire? Oh my goodness. Five-star rating and review for Earn and Invest. So passive income in a binary spectrum doesn't really exist. It exists in, a, in various degrees of passivity, right? So when we think about passive income, maybe the truest sense of passive income would be investing as like a limited partner in somebody else's real estate deal. So somebody is buying a 100-unit apartment complex, you give them 50000 they say, thank you, we're going to give you 7% on this a year, we're going to give you back you know, this times you know one or two afterwards in three years, or if you're investing in index funds or something. 99% of people that have made something of themselves and that have done big things, uh, it's not off of passive income. And so passive income is a tool that we can utilize, but it's not the entire end destination. And that's where my entire life changed. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I was in a position where I was making, like I said, 250, 260 a year. So I was like, I need $20,000 a month in passive income for me to leave. That seemed very daunting. Hmm. It's like, how on earth am I going to pull that off? Let alone soon, you know? 20 years, maybe 15 years. How am I going to pull this off? Until my coach that I had hired at the time asked me a question that changed my life. And he said, Brian, why does it have to be passive? Yeah. And I was like, well, shit. <laughs> the podcast told me that. The books told me that. 
And he's like, well, you don't strike me as the type of person that would stop working. He's like, why don't you just fi- figure out how you would ha- generate that income that would be fun for you? And I was like, there's not a word for this. There's nobody talking about this. And then so I created passionate income. And that's become my entire identity, man, is is like Kiyosaki had the cash flow quadrants, man. If I'm going to plant a flag in the ground, it's going to be passionate income. So the Japanese call your ikigai. How do you have this like this giant funky Venn diagram of like what the market wants, what the world needs, what you're what you're good at and what you love? And then smack dab in the middle of the circle is what they call the ikigai, which is icky, which means meaning and then guy's life. So it's like the meaning of life, essentially, why you're here. And how can we generate income off of doing what fires us up? Because, man, what an advantage that is in the entrepreneurship game is if you're doing something that you love, the man that loves walking will walk further than the man that's going towards a destination, right? So I'm like, oh, my God. Like that For me, it was my podcast. But for to like really concrete the, the, the example and the concepts for people, Steve Irwin, perfect example. That guy did would have done anything for free for conservation and wildlife. And then they gave this guy millions of dollars in a platform. And he was like, give me everything. Give me all your money. I'm going to spend it all on wildlife. I'm going to spend it all doing exactly what I would do for free. And I'm just going to like keep going and keep going. So active income, passionate income, I believe is the answer. So let's get everyone, let's get everyone rich. Let's get everyone the passive income just to come up above the clouds and they can start seeing the sky while they're flying the plane. Because when you're going through that turbulence on the ascent, it's really bumpy and scary and you can't see anything. But as soon as you're getting into the clear skies after your bills are paid and everything, like and we build that foundation off of the quote unquote passive income, real estate, business, stock market, whatever have you, then we start living. And then we start asking the question, how do we generate this? Because every single entrepreneur that's worth $10 million and above, I will stay, I'll say this as a statement of fact, not opinion has an active business or businesses that generate massive amounts of cash flow that they then deploy into assets. They don't make it from assets. They deploy the cash flow from their businesses into assets. I, I want you to say this out loud here. I want to catch it on the podcast, maybe for the first time ever on this podcast. Brian, I want you to repeat after me or, or maybe you know tell this to the audience. So what you're saying is that passive income is not winning the game. Passive income is not winning the game. Signed and sealed, Brian Lubin. Put it on my tombstone. We are talking to Brian Lubin. He is an entrepreneur, podcaster, and real estate investor out of Atlanta, Georgia. And we are talking about passive income versus passionate income. And are billionaires better than the rest of us? We are going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? It was one of my favorite budgeting apps, but here's the problem. Mint is disappearing. Now we all are stuck with the question, how will we manage our budget and finances now? Well, I discovered Monarch Money, and I have to tell you, I found it simple, enjoyable, and made for users like me. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. 
And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. There's so many great things about Monarch. One is it's intuitive. When I signed up, I went to the website, and within minutes, I had had all my accounts downloaded. I connected to all my banks. It is collaborative. It's not only made for people like me, but for people like me to then share it with my spouse or my financial advisor or what have you. And Monarch is so customer-focused that they're always looking for ways to improve and make their product serve us better. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. This episode of Earn and Invest is sponsored by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com slash earn and get on your way to being your best self. Listen. A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right, but sometimes the best ones happen when both people put in the work to make them great, and therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships. I know, because when I went to BetterHelp, one of the relationships I wanted help with was that with my father. You see, my father died when I was seven years old, and I had a lot of unresolved issues. My therapist at BetterHelp was actually really good at helping me talk about those issues and start to find answers that normally I would have tried to find with my father, but since he was no longer around, I had to find them on my own, and having a therapist was incredibly impactful in that journey. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate whether you're looking for one or not. Visit BetterHelp.com earn today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot earn. We are back with Brian Lubin. He made it to the top of a Fortune 500 company in their sales organization, only to realize that living the corporate America life for the next 40 years was simply no longer an option. He now runs a successful podcast, The Action Academy, where he talks to seven, eight, and nine-figure entrepreneurs on how to earn freedom in life and business. And we are talking about passionate income. For most of the billionaires and multimillionaires that you interview on your podcast, are most of them pretty passionate about their sources of income? 50-50. So I would say, you know, especially once you get up until up into like the hundred million dollar mark plus, they're not necessarily passionate. Some of them are most like they're passionate about if they founded like a massive company or a brand that took them to the stratosphere. Like think of like a Phil Knight or maybe like a Bill Gates. Or like a Zuckerberg, you know, where they're like, they did one thing to get there. Most people that are at that stage, 50 million plus, are passionate about the game. Hmm. They are just obsessed with winning. These are the people in the archetypes and the personality types that you put them on a desert island and they'll have a new business built that's generating millions of dollars within the next couple of years. Like they're just so obsessed with playing the game and winning. And a lot of it comes from a lot of trauma. So most of them started up and there's a, I wish I could quote the study, but there there was a study that I read that a lot of entrepreneurs have uh, issues in their early childhood, with especially like the father. Um, so I had father issues, you know, a lot of people do like, so there's a chip on the shoulder for most of these people that are operating from childhood. 
And so it normally comes from a from a place of trying to right size the ship and trying to prove something to the world, to their parents, to anyone that bullied them or anything like that. And then they get up to this level and then it's a process of removing that ship and replacing it with something else that proves to be difficult for those people. So that's the main thing that they have to work on um, at that stage because the, the work doesn't stop of being a human. It just mm-hmm. looks different. So it's like where you may be hiring like a real estate coach or a business coach, they don't necessarily need that at that level. They're spending six figures on a marriage coach, on a spirituality, like advisor, like personal trainers for their fitness. They're working on different buckets of life. Do you think being super successful at making money, having a a high net worth is solving some of these problems for them? Do they on average appear happier than the rest of us? It's subjective. I'm trying to think about who actually is happier. They're a lot more materially successful. I'd say that. I'd say that the people that I have seen personally, I can just speak to my personal observation here. Uh, I don't Mm -hmm. have a concrete answer for this. But for me, who I aspire to build my wealth like is like big podcasters, which is why I podcast. So I look at Rogan and I look at Tim Ferriss and I look at guys like this and I'm like, what is a sensational life that is in the sensational wealth to where they don't, the wealth comes as like a byproduct of their relationships that they're building with interesting people. I'm like, oh my goodness, like how wonderful is that? So my best analogy for a business that I think is like the secret to happiness is businesses like the best business to build is a business that's like a car that you really enjoy driving and it's super fun. You're like, oh my gosh, I love driving this car. And then the exhaust, the byproduct of you having fun is revenue. So instead of like driving towards revenue, revenue is the byproduct. So anyone that operates a business like that is on top of the moon. The people that have more than just their business, they have really strong familial relations, really strong friendships. Um, Richard Branson, cats Mm -hmm. like that. Where they have really strong, you know, faith relationships, like just the full package. Those people are very happy. Um, the people that are still, you know, I, I know a lot of people worth over $100 million that are in a very existential crisis trying to figure out what their life is outside of their business. So, but long story short, money isn't the answer to happiness or to fulfillment. I want to touch on both aspects because you talked about podcasting and your own mountain that you're climbing to become the best podcaster obviously that's going to mean lots of downloads possibly lots of passive revenue but something you're going to really enjoy and i want to draw the parallel of people whose main goal or one of their main goals is to build lots of revenue maybe become 100 millionaires or billionaires sure how do you define enough i mean is there such thing as enough and and do we get to that place where like now i'm happy and i can rest assured i think enough is a fallacy I don't think anyone that anyone that says that they have enough, like I don't think the word necessarily exists. So I think it's a I think it's a moving goalpost, and it changes at different stages of life because your definition of enough, like we're going to attach the end the end definition to different topics, right? Mm -hmm. So like maybe in my position, it's enough monetary means, but it's like maybe at sixty years old you're trying to get enough time with your grandkids and maybe it's not enough. Maybe you want more, but like your kids live across the country. So enough, enough always changes. 
I think that the pursuit of enough is the wrong race to run. I think that it's great to have goalposts along the journey, uh, which we celebrate. You say, okay, I'm going to have concrete goalposts at which at this point I celebrate because I like I did something. And this is an internal race, not an external race, not a game of comparison. But the the best analogy I can use for this is that the best games worth playing are not winnable. So therefore, there is no such thing as enough. You cannot win, which means there is not enough. But you can the the end destination of arriving at enough is the enjoyment of playing the game. I think so. And I could be completely wrong. Feel free to challenge me on this. But so when it comes to unwinnable games that are worth playing uh, marriage, you cannot win the game of marriage. You can only remain married. So you can only continue playing the game of marriage business. You can't win business. You can only continue to stay in business. Health, you can't you win health. You can only remain healthy, right? So it's the same thing as like happiness. You can't win happiness. You can only remain happy. So it's a daily thing. It's a daily occurrence. It's a daily goalpost that always changes. And I think that the spice of human existence is not necessarily finding enough, but just becoming 1% better in whatever direction you want that to be. And it doesn't have to be monetary. But if you're just 1% better, one inch closer to the ultimate ideal that you have of yourself each and every day, I think that's a pretty damn well life worth living. And that's just my perspective. I could be wrong. Yeah. I, you know, I connect with almost everything you said, except I think you can win at business. Like, I, I think you can create a business that either provides monetarily or provides joy-wise and that that sure. can be an end and that can be a very reasonable end. But everything else I agree are completely unwinnable. How does money play into it? I mean, so you're, for instance, talking about building your podcast dynasty. Mm-hmm. Would you do it if it paid nothing? If you I got zero, it it, zero revenue? Mm-hmm. So I started it for the first year. Um, I did it for free for a year. Like I had no intention of making money, which is what makes a passionate income. It's something that you do for free that you can get paid for. So I didn't do it to make a business. I did it because I really enjoyed meeting interesting people and I wanted a reason to. So I started the podcast and it happened to make money. And that happened when all of a sudden I got a call from a coach that I used that was $12,000 a year. And he called me. He's like, dude, I've had four people sign up for your podcast this month. He's like, let me like send you a kickback. Like, Let's start up an affiliate relationship. And I was like, what's that? Um, It accidentally became $167,450 in uh, 2022. Wow. Right? So oops, right? And that's when, and then that also built my new business, which is like on top of fulfillment. So it all started with something that I didn't care about because here's here's another, you know, <laughs> mic drop moment. Money isn't real. It doesn't really exist. It's just a unit of measurement, just like we used to use rocks or food as currency back in the like ancient times. Um, land. It's been a huge form of currency over time. They used to like grant feudal lords land. Money isn't really real. The word that we're looking for is value. And we use money to, uh, you know, it's the government's way of discerning value. So, and I don't really think about money anymore, um, which is a privileged statement to make. I understand. Some people are like really in the midst of it. It's ironic because, you know, Money is the root of all evil is what you think. Until you have money, you don't think about money at all. So I'm like, the irony is kind of a catch-22 there, right? So like the person that doesn't have money is thinking about money 24-7. 
person that has money is not thinking about it at all. So if it's the root of all evil, then like who's playing in that ballpark a little bit more? So that's that's kind of an interesting thought experiment that I've had over the over the time. But it really it's value. So when I think of the game of value, that's a much more game fun game to play instead of the game of money. So instead of thinking of dollars in my pocket, I'm thinking, how can I provide more value at scale tomorrow to other people than I did today? And that is such a fun game to play because what ends up happening is you make so many micro deposits and you don't see the result until one day you see all the results. And then everything is worth it. So when I said, when I was on that beach going from me to we, I said, I left my corporate job to go live my big, exciting life. I want to help a million other people do that by the time I'm 30 years old. And now like we've got a couple hundred people that have done that. And to see them thriving is more fulfillment than I've ever had in my life. And not only that, it's just when I settle down, I get married and I have my kids. Like what a wonderful experience I'm going to be able to provide for them while I'm also helping other people. So that's how I think about value instead of money. Money isn't really real. And if you make that the game that you're playing, you're going to lose no matter what. I thought a lot about the nature of money myself. And, and two things always stick out to me, which I talked about in my book, Taking Stock. One is money is like oxygen, which is exactly what you said. If you don't have any, it's like the most important thing. But the minute you have enough, having more doesn't really do much for you. And the other thing that sticks out to me is, is money is a lot like potential energy, right? It is mm-hmm. literally just a tool, a holder of energy that you can then use towards other things, right? So if you have money, you can buy something that helps you accomplish a job or you can hire someone to help you accomplish the job, but it's literally Leverage. just a holder of that potential energy. You've mentioned multiple times now this idea of helping a million people does passionate income have to improve the world, impact others? No. Actually, if you really zoom out, we don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. Nobody has to do a thing. And if you really zoom out, it's like if you're religious or not, I am personally. But even if you're not, nothing matters really. Like when you zoom out, because we're all floating on this giant spinning rock through an infinite universe, right? And we're just giant meat puppets walking around. And the reason that we're not living our big, exciting lives is we're concerned about the opinions of the other meat puppets that aren't even thinking about us. <laughs> so, you know, you are a hospice doctor. Like, you interviewed people on their deathbeds. And, you know, we talked about it on my podcast. And none of them said anything about money. That It's mostly relationship-based. You know, man, I wish I would have hung out with my mom more, my family, my kids, my friends. I wish I would have traveled more. I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have gone for it. You know, so it's like, at the end of the day, I think that's that's the pursuit, right? It's just going after that. So, you know, at the end of the day, we're all just, you don't have to have some meaning or like ulterior motive behind things. I have just personally found that I enjoy doing big things and I'm here to create a massive ripple effect. Like there are people that are called to be like the person that does that, right? Like Tony Robbins has changed millions of people's lives. And I see a guy like that. And I'm like, that's what I'm doing. Like, I want to do that. Like that is what I'm here to do. And for me, the game, that game to play makes things much more worth it. So if there's going to be somebody that's going to give everything that they have, and I'm going to give everything I have towards a direction, I think in the long like scale, if you zoom out, it's best for me to give that to other people 
instead of to do something for myself. Because I could just focus on my own business and just make a bunch of money. But then that doesn't really light my candle anymore. But if I help enough other people and I help people that are, you know, like providing for their families, then not only does my future family get provided for, but I provide for a million other families. And then like them being there to raise their kids instead of sucking a job that they hate and them teaching their kids about finance and all this stuff. All of a sudden, that's a that'll impact a nation. So I'm thinking like three generations ahead for everything that I do. As we get to the close of the conversation, it really makes me realize we are fascinated by this idea of billionaires, but it's not the fact that they have that much money that makes them so interesting. In fact, that might be a reason that they're unhappy as opposed to happy, or certainly it doesn't solve the happiness problem. But what does make them interesting is that they've done big things, right? They've Mm -hmm. just done kind of these big audacious things that catch our attention, but it's not the actual money aspect Mm -hmm. that makes them so interesting. Correct. A hundred percent agree. So is there anything bad about passionate income? Any downsides? Any downsides? There's risk. There's risk, right? It's not the safe path. It's not the, it's not the, you know, 20 step <laughs> pay off your debt, invest in index funds thing. But here's here's the thing. I think that anywhere anything worth having is worth risk. I truly believe that. It's like if you don't go talk to that pretty girl that could possibly be your wife or talk to that man that could possibly be your husband across the pool, there's a risk there of rejection. And if there was no risk, would it be as rewarding if you got what you wanted? If there was no effort, would you really appreciate the result? If there was no darkness and there was no rain, would you really appreciate sunshine? So people are such an uh, such a risk mitigation framework. They want to live in this safe styrofoam bubble. And that's called salary, right? Hmm. So Nassim Taleb said a really good quote that I enjoyed. He said, the two most harmful addictions in the American and U.S. is uh, carbohydrates and a monthly salary. Hmm. Besides heroin. <laughs> he goes, those are, the, those are the most harmful addictions. Uh, and so it's just like, I understand people listening to this, they have families. I understand that, you know, that there's risk, that there's things on the line, but you can go about it the way where it's like you left your job because you went to like the white coat investors, right? So you, you were surrounded by a community. So it's like the passive income and all this stuff, like the actual strategy, the capital H how will get you out, but the who keeps you out. So the cash flow gets you out of your job. The community keeps you out of your job. And then that's what it's all been about at all. So it's like at the end of the day, like that's that's what I'm looking for is I'm looking for like those communities, I'm looking for those relationships. I'm looking for those people. Like that's what it's all about. Yeah. There's also risk to inaction, right? The risk of inaction is that things will never get better. You'll never change. You'll never grow. The community is actually the ultimate security because it's like that you, people think that like a sum of money in your bank account is the ultimate security, but it's really the people because your cash flow is not going to hold you when you're crying at night or when everything goes wrong. It's your people that will. And at the end of the day, if anyone's listening to this, if I want to leave you with anything, what's the worst case scenario that happens, right? Say you leave your job, you go out on your own, you know, you've done your investments, obviously, you've been prudent financially, you're not just making a leap with no safety net. And you give it a shot and you fail. And everything like your new business crumbles, and you go back to zero. What's the worst case scenario? You go get another job. So 
your worst case scenario is your present day reality. Your definition of hell is your life today. So it's like when you frame it like that, that's the frame that took for me. I was like, I'll just go get another sales job. I was like, oh, okay, I've got this. (laughs) So sorry, I just really wanted to punctuate that. So there are a lot of people listening right now who are saying, okay, this sounds good, right? I I want to move towards passionate income, but the problem always is taking action. In fact, it's always that first step. If we can just get past the first step, we're much more likely to start to change our lives. So what is the first step when it comes to passionate income? I mean, you mentioned just a moment ago that it's about people. Is it getting yourself in the right community or is there something else we should kind of start with? Vision. So everything begins and ends with vision, always. So I was, when I was in that corporate job, I created a three-year vision, which I can now like give you guys the proof. Like I wrote that vision in 2020. It's 2023 today. I wrote the three-year vision. I accomplished it in 1.5 years. So I blew it out. I doubled my vision. So I'm like, okay, cool. Now it's really fun for me to write visions because I know it's possible, right? Which is everything. And so the vision is the most important part of all of this. People aren't taking action um, because they're overstimulated. So it isn't a lack. It's more an abundance. So sadness comes. Uh, I've got an entrepreneur, uh, Alex Ramosi said this. I'll quote him. He said, sadness is from a lack of options, a lack of resources. And then anxiety is from an abundance of resources, but no clarity, no direction. So it's like today, you guys are listening to 20 podcasts in rotation. You've got all of YouTube, all of Google. You see all these different financial tools and tactics that you're so overwhelmed that you see 40 paths to climb up the mountain that you don't pick one. And it's like clarity is the answer to anxiety. And the clarity only comes from the vision. So instead of starting with, I want $10,000 a month of passive income, let's start with, I want, I am obsessed with the lake. I grew up on the lake. I've always wanted to raise my family on the lake. I live in like Boise, Idaho. I want to go move to a lake. I want to have a lake house. That's my dream to raise my family and have a rope swing that's going out in a boat just on the lake, you know? And if that's that's your vision for your family and you want to raise them there, then cool. Let's work backwards from there and then create our strategy and then create our financial plan because then we've got a, a purpose and destination attached to it. And then the same applies to your community because now you see you have a vision for the person that you want to become. And then that person, just like you buy a new car at a car dealership and you walk out and you start seeing that car everywhere, then that person starts to materialize. So it's like for me and you, Jordan, it's like I, you know, you become this person and then like me and you meet because we're similar now. It's like you with your community, it's like you become magnetic and you start attracting people. So yeah, it all starts and ends with vision. So uh, Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold is a fantastic book that I'd recommend. Well, Brian, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. As I think about our conversation, I realize that we love to study these multimillionaires and billionaires because on some level, we think we want to be like them, but it's not actually the amount of money that we want to be like. What the goal is, is to take that active or even passive income and turn it into passionate income. And to me, that may be the better goal than hanging your sense of self-worth on some net worth number. Uh, I want to end this episode the way we end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where we can find you. Tell us what is coming up for you on the podcast and otherwise. Yeah, so we're just posting every single day. I really have no goal with the podcast. It's just to make a new episode episode every single day. That's it. 
So right now we're like at 500,000 downloads. So, you know, we'll cross the million, we'll cross the 10 million, but I really enjoy the journey. Um, so what's next for me is we're building out, you know, the podcast to make that as great as possible. I'm building out my social media at Brian Lubin and I'm building out like our backend, you know, community because we got a community, but you know, it's like, I'm trying to build systems and scale and team to support the million people. And uh, lastly, uh, talking about scale, I've got a book that's going to come out when this airs. Um, it's probably going to be out November, December, but that's what everything that I'm putting in right now is it's called From Passive to Passionate. So it's literally about the same topics that we talked about today, where it gives you the passive income strategies, like that is part of it, but it's mostly a psychology book that helps you like get there and then what happens afterwards. So that book as well. Um, yeah. So I'll just say, just check out the podcast, Action Academy and uh W2toworldtravel.com is our website that has a bunch of free resources, guides, stuff like that. It's all free. And what social media are you most active on? Instagram, Brian Lubin. That's just me posting two videos a day. That's the that's the eyeball getter. And then the mm-hmm. podcast is the actual value. Well, Brian Lubin, I wanted to thank you for coming on Earn and Invest today. Thank you for having me. It's been fantastic. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts. The discussion with Brian Lubin today really got me thinking about mindset and also the once I have syndrome, right? Once I have X, I will be happy A lot of us set a net worth goal and decide that that's where happiness lies. Once I have a million dollars, I'll be happy. Once I have five million dollars, I'll be happy. Some of us go even as far as to say, once I have a billion dollars, I'll be happy. What I wanted to do today and why I talked to Brian on the subject is I wanted to flip it around and look at people who already had the hundreds of millions and billions and ask the opposite question. Are they now happy since they've got to where they're going? I wasn't sure how Brian was going to answer this. In his podcast, he interviews all sorts of people with high net worths, Often they have side hustles and passion projects, as well as the entrepreneurial vision to build large businesses. I thought he was going to tell me they aren't more happy than us. And he said, well, kind of, right? Money doesn't solve all of people's problems. So even being a billionaire will not solve your problems. On the other hand, and I think this was really interesting, On the other hand, he did admit that people who become billionaires have the pride and joy of having built something that's highly successful. So their happiness really hinges more on are they proud and happy and did it feel good to build the thing they built, not necessarily on the actual net worth or how much money they have in the bank. He also said something that kind of is surprising, but I guess I knew it. You know, most billionaires are driven to be billionaires because they have a deep hurt down inside from their childhood, something they couldn't do or accomplish. And therefore, becoming billionaires was their way of proving to themselves and the rest of the world that they are worthy 
that they could do this big audacious thing that they should be accepted and loved because they became billionaires. So why have this conversation with us? Clearly, no one here listening to this is probably going to be a billionaire or it's unlikely the majority of us are going to become billionaires. So why are these messages important to us? And I think really the key that we can get from this is making a billion dollars won't make us happy, but building things that are important to us will. Again, let me say that again. Making a billion dollars won't make us happy, but building things that are important to us will. A side effect of that, if you're really passionate and excited about it, is that it might make you a lot of money. You might be able to reach your financial goals when you do this thing that you're passionate about, but the money itself shouldn't be the driver. The truth of the matter is there are plenty of billionaires out there who are unhappy, upset, have not reached the goals they wanted to reach, or once they become billionaires that that's not good enough and they want to have more money than the other billionaires who are part of that group. It can be a self-fulfilling prophecy. You don't want to be there. When we focus on money, we generally lose sight of the fact that money is just a holder of energy, potential energy. We do a lot of hard work. We get paid money for it. The money holds that energy for us. And then when we want to harness it to buy something or do something or have someone perform services for us, we can then use that money, the energy stored in that money, to get it done. That is all it is. It's not something that makes you happy. Unless you have very little of it, it's not something that makes you unhappy. The onus on that is all up to us. And whether we are happy or not probably depends more on how we are filling our time. I think the billionaires will tell you this, and probably those who even reach their smaller goals, like their millions of dollars or even their hundreds of thousands of dollars, will tell you this. Money will not make you happy, no matter how much you think it will. As cool as it sounds like to be a billionaire... I don't think it will actually move the needle. All right, I leave things running just for a few minutes so we can catch the after show. Anything we didn't talk about? Passive, passionate income? Anything that you feel like we didn't hit on that's important for people to hear? I think we knocked it out. I think that was fantastic. Um... That was really good because normally I do the same show over and over and over again. So this <laughs> yeah, I, one, I, I always try. I mean, obviously, it's hard because I want to make sure you hit yeah. big points that are important to you, but I don't want to sound like every other episode you've done. Oh, no, it was fantastic. Yeah, that was really great. I enjoyed that. That was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed ours, too. Like, that one was really, really good. So yeah, you you and I share, up. I think, a huge amount of these same ideas, right? So. Mm-hmm. Like in, so you're working on a book, I'm working on a book, and even a little bit in my last book, I, I kind of framed, I, I created a framework for building purpose into our lives, which I call mm-hmm. the climb of all things, right? Makes sense. And so, like, I think you and I have a lot of those similar ideas, especially about goals. So, you know, my book concentrates a little a lot on purpose and how we get purpose wrong and that's why it causes us anxiety as opposed to has all those like health benefits and longevity benefits that all the studies show and so i think you and i share a lot of those common ideas in fact you say you did this in in my interview with you you're always like saying capital 
P this or capital, like you yeah. say, capital or little. And I, in fact, a big part of my book is like this idea between little P purpose and big P purpose and, and yeah. why big P purpose actually causes anxiety and little P purpose actually fulfills us. Um, so it's funny. I think you and I use some of those same same ideas and, and same same words to describe things. Yeah. On the on the inverse is like there's some podcasts that try to like like bring me down to earth because they just can't wrap their heads around what matters. And so they were like, well, walk us through how you did your house hacking strategy. <laughs> I'm yeah, like, you, you won't get that on it. You won't get that I'm on like, an invest. Not that dude, there isn't a place for that, but yeah, not, not, not but, with, not with people like you, at least like, I think what's exciting about you is, is that kind of big thinking, right? The, yeah. that the, let's go look at the thousand view and what the, what the hell are we doing with our lives and, and how can we exactly. make that better? Right. It's more yeah, philosophical. But, I've been on some podcasts like that and I'll straight up tell them, I'll be like, Hey, we can go 10 minutes deep on this, but you guys need to know that this is like not what's going to move the needle for you. Like, yeah. This is a very small strategy that will get you there. We all know how important it is to keep your eye on the money and not just your own. Stay on top of the latest financial and market news with Yahoo Finance, a podcast that releases new episodes almost every day. You'll hear a brief overview of the biggest news in the financial world, all in three minutes or less, right after markets close. Check out Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. That's Yahoo Finance wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.